Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Daily Objective. And we're going to be talking about politics today and uh, specifically which of the two major parties uh, maybe one should vote for, one should root for, if any, which is better, which is worse, which is less worse, etc. cetera. Uh, specifically approaching this from an objectivist perspective, one might assume certain things based on objectivism being a philosophy of capitalism when it comes to politics. Uh, but is the answer of which party to vote for obvious? Some would say yes, while others say no. Uh, here with me today is uh, a man who himself is a myth. We've discussed the myths, and he is Jason Rines. Welcome to the show. How are you? Pretty good. Um, so, yeah, I remember reading like Atlas Shrugged in my late teens and thinking to myself like, OK, yeah, Republicans seem to be the party of capitalism. They're, you know, they're, they're too religious and all of that, but uh, they seem kind of like the lesser of two evils. Um, and over time, over the years, I, I find myself moving away from that and kind of realizing that um, the methods by which Republicans arrive at some semblance of free market policy is not like is not the same as how Ayn Rand arrives at, at it. And, and, and what's wrong with Republicans ends up being catastrophic. And over time, I find myself being less and less, um, I guess, enamored by the Republican uh, dangling of capitalism to the extent they even do that anymore. So, I mean, how, how do you tend to think about uh, Republicans and Democrats? Did you evolve on this topic? Uh, have your views been consistent over your life? Pretty consistent, but they've evolved a bit. So um, I would say that very before I was into objectivism, but so, you know, like, let's say 15 year old Jason Rhines is reading Karl Marx and is really excited about the ideas of communism. 16 year old Jason Rhines is reading um, John Locke and is really excited about kind of classical liberalism, libertarianism, that kind of thing. Um, and, and at the time, you know, he, he, he gets like, um, uh, among other things that he's reading, you know, he reads some of the weekly standard and very quickly gets turned off um, from it. Um, mostly because it just already seemed tribalist. Um, and, and this is, more than 20 years ago. So, uh, so it, it wasn't as tribalist as it is now, but it still basically felt overwhelmingly tribalist. And um, I could see already the, the, the dangers of the kind of um, religious um, side of the conservative movement. Um, and over time, um, some of this stuff has sort of become more and more clear to me. That is, uh, I never trusted Republicans to actually be free market, and I've never been disappointed in that. That is to say, they've never surprised me positively in this regard um, for two reasons. And, and I've always sort of thought this for two reasons. One, um, they lack the courage um, to actually, um, they lack A, the courage and B, the popular support to actually go after and dismantle the welfare state or the regulative state. The regulatory state. They've been doing more about the, the regulatory state, but it's not as if they've, they have any kind of clue what to do in terms of undoing what we have. They typically, you know, get bought out by certain special interests in certain areas and then, and just kind of give them carte blanche or give them a local monopoly or oligopoly or something like that. Um, Another way to put it is that they tend to be crony capitalists, not capitalists. Um, and you know, they they believe in welfare, just you know, corporate welfare for for certain preferred donors, um, in in some cases. Um, and then you know, the, the religious stuff has just only gotten worse and worse over the years, and the gun stuff has only got crazier and crazier. Um, uh, their fetishism for firearms is is now a level of insanity. Um, and so, um, and at the same time, um, I think that it's been sort of, it, it's grown more clear to me that while, um, while I guess identity, polit uh, identity sort of 
theories have sort of replaced and in, in, have come more and more to the fore of the new left and sort of replaced the issues, the, some of the economic issues of the old left, um, they haven't necessarily translated into bold policy proposals. It's not that there's never a worry about legislation around them, but by and large, um, issues of the First Amendment and other things kind of have relatively limited them. Again, not totally, but relatively. Or another way to put it is Democrats are somewhat in the position now that Republicans sort of were in in the 60s, which is to say that they sort of have a lukewarm semi-ideology um, and they kind of pull in a certain direction, but it's not very coherent anymore. Um, and, um, and to some extent, I think that makes electing Democrats, I, I don't mean like far left ideas, but I mean electing Democrats less dangerous on the whole, I think, uh, whereas um, electing Republicans has become much, much more dangerous. Um, and, and I mean, I think this begins with Ronald Reagan and the, this, so people talk about two, people talk about the ma a major shift in the Republican Party's strategy of the Southern strategy under Nixon, where they would embrace um, former Dixiecrats, soon to be former Dixiecrats to kind of build around racism and to get the South. And that's true, they did that. Um, but what they don't talk about as much is the other kind of cynical and deeply destructive bargain that their party did, which was um, in, in the Reagan era to embrace religious conservatives um, who did not overwhelmingly sort of break Republican prior to this um, and to decide to kind of build a huge platform around abortion issues, to kind of push for abortion issues to become central to evangelicals. That was on the evangelical side of things, evangelicals who wanted to go more Republican, Republicans who wanted to capture more evangelicals. Um, and I think overwhelmingly, you know, this has just become a more and more dangerous thing. And now we're really, we're, we're in the war. It's never been more dangerous, I think, particularly with two of the most recent Supreme Court decisions, one striking down Roe v. Wade and enabling all these red states to establish abortion bans. And the other um, basically being that, that uh, kind of a, a series of legal precedents that weaken the separation of church and state saying that you know certain religious schools have to be given certain state funds for education that's a real bad precedent um so i would say that i never trusted the right um there were plenty of elections where i thought between the democrat and the republican neither was so much worse than the other but i had to vote i never thought either was any good um but when i did i tended to vote actually for the democrat um, thinking that the, the Republican was just really, really bad. Um, and the Democrat was just yeah, kind of bad. Um, and, and it's only gotten worse so that now I do vote all the time and I vote Democratic because I think that the Republican Party has completely abandoned um, any semblance of, of notions of democracy. Um, and, and in a sense, rule of law in, in a deep way. I think they, they've just become, they've embraced, I think, violent fascist sort of militarism in various respects. I think they've embraced white nationalism in not every Republican has embraced it, but, but every Republican um, is, plays this little game of not denouncing it quite as much as he or she should, usually it's he. So, uh, it's gotten much, they've gotten much worse, but I never thought they were any good in my lifetime. So I definitely want to talk about what Republicans have morphed into in recent years. But um, speaking generally, I, I'm, I'm going to play a lot of devil's advocate today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the, you, so you're saying, yeah, that Republicans don't have the courage nor the popular support to overturn the welfare, the welfare state and all the bad policies. But one wouldn't one say, yeah, but the Democrats are the ones bringing about and pushing for and running on these policies. So why would how could you in good conscience vote for the socialists, let's call them or they so, might call them when 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 the sort of the lesser of two evils, their worst thing you can say about them is that they're not fighting enough against the socialists. Well, so, I mean, here's I mean, two things, right? Um, one is, do you want, so granted that there isn't a party 
that actually wants to give you liberty in a certain domain? Do you want the party that, you know, wrongly has put the kind of government control there, but at least wants it to be done well, as well as it can be done, which is not well, but, or of a party that says, well, let's just screw it up in the hopes that if we screw it up enough, maybe people will come around to the idea that it doesn't work um, and create a self-fulfilling prophecy. And I actually think there's something fairly nihilistic or, and at any rate, certainly self-destructive about a party that says, we're not gonna get rid of this program. It's gonna stay in place, which means that private alternatives are not gonna develop, right? Um, a means of people taking care of themselves without the tax burden is not gonna develop. The state will still have a monopoly on this. It's just gonna be worse. And I think that's, that's pretty terrible, right? Um, again, you could say, well, it's not moving us in the right direction to kind of vote for the people who would kind of expand the state thing. But, but on the other hand, like, I mean, there is something bad. So as bad as the state controlling certain things it shouldn't is, you could say that you can make it more incompetent and you can make it more destructive if you try. And in many cases, I think the Republicans have tried to do that. Now, which is worse? I don't know if in principle one is worse than the other, but um, at least in somewhat short run terms or medium run terms, sometimes you get worse outcomes. I mean, to take healthcare, for example, we sort of have the worst of both worlds in this mixed healthcare economy that we have. We don't have the advantages of a free market. We don't for all the problems of a socialized system, we don't have at least some of the internal advantages of a single payer system. We have this system, this, this quasi corporatist, you know, kind of system that, that actually has none of the advantages or efficiencies of either. And so that's why we have this, you know, and so we have, you know, healthcare prices that seem insanely high and compared to other countries, we have this bizarre system where if you have a job that provides healthcare, um, it looks night and day different from trying to get healthcare on a on a market with, without a, a job, you know. And so it literally kind of bind, binds people <laughs> in these sort of like relationships to certain jobs that they don't want to have and don't want to do just because they would lose their health insurance. And I mean, it's just really weird and and dysfunctional. It's similarly like, look, I don't believe in our kind of system of, 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 our, of our tax system. But if we're gonna have it, I think it should actually, you know, it should be upheld, we should have the law. I don't think it makes sense to sort of defund the IRS so they can't do their job. That's not a principled stance. That's the worst of both worlds. That's both saying, we're not gonna get rid of this. We don't deny that the sort of taxing is wrong. And we don't believe that, you know, the government should have, that the law should be followed. Um, look, uh, the law should be followed, the laws should be right, they should be good, but they should be implemented. And remember, any time that you put the state in a role that it isn't its proper place, that's bad. But it already pushes out the, many of the options for people to solve problems privately. So when people are sort of forbidden from solving problems privately, they have to look to the government to sort of do it publicly, which it doesn't do well, if it's the wrong domain, um, it, it does things like defend the country from foreign aggressors well, right? That's its proper domain. But it, um, it doesn't do, you know, providing the mail or whatever, you know, well. But if it's going to crowd out everything else, it's got to make some kind of effort. Otherwise, we have nothing, right? And then things really fall apart. Um, and, and so that's, that's sort of my response to the idea of, well, you know, this other party is trying to ramp it up. Um, sometimes, yeah, and uh, and that could be worse. Um, but I don't think as if you're not going to try to remove it in principle, then neither seems to be much worse than the other to kind of expand it or to keep it, but make it even more dysfunctional. Well, if we were to look at like healthcare, uh, current in the current state of things, at least if you if you have a lot of money, you could pay for good care out of pocket, and people from all over the world uh, get their uh, optimal premium care from the U.S. But if you just vote Democrat and the Democrats have their way, then aren't they going to basically make us all 
like at the level of of the poor and destitute? And um, isn't it better to to have at least the Republicans as a barrier voting no on whatever Democrats propose in the meantime? I think it's extremely unlikely that you would get even if like a a Democratic, a large enough Democratic majority um, in both houses and then, you know, Democratic president and you got enough Democratic senators to remove the filibuster bit. I find it highly unlikely that you would get the kind of Bernie Sanders picture where you eliminate private health care altogether. I don't think you're, you would see that in the United States. I don't think there's much momentum for that. I think you, know, you would probably get um, a system like they have in some other countries where there is a sort of public option um, for everybody. And then if you want to pay for sort of premium care um, at the top end um, privately, you can. Um, I think that, uh, I mean, again, this is just a kind of, I'm making a bet here, right? I, I don't, um, cause I don't think there's, I, I don't think of most Americans are of this view of like, no healthcare should be private. I just think they sort of think like people's healthcare should to some extent be at least basic healthcare be taken care of by the state. I don't agree with that point, but I think, but, but my sense of where the country is at is that they want something that's the equivalent of Medicare or Medicaid for everybody, but they don't want, they don't think like no, no doctor should be anything but a state employee. Like I, there's not, there isn't that kind of hardcore socialist mindset, even to, to a large extent on the left. It's well, just, couldn't, couldn't then someone say, yeah, but are Republicans ever going to go as far as, as you're worried about? Are they, they're never going to go white nationalists. They're never going to uh, become full-blown have fascists. Have they? Yeah, I mean, have, go ahead. They absolutely have. I mean, like after, after, the, after January 6th, right? Like, I mean, after the, the storming of the Capitol, how many Republican congressmen still voted not to certify electors for, um, from various states? Right to sim- like they literally were attacked by this by this mob on the big lie, and then dozens of them, I think at least a hundred, I, I forget the exact numbers, still voted to kind of uphold this lie, and to uphold this insane theory of of denying this election. Right, they literally had their lives online, and they still did it just to, because they knew their reelection was sort of tied to that, or their their the next primary, they would be primaried by somebody more. QAnon, more Trumpist, more um, dangerous like that. They are actively trying to, um, they're actively trying to make it the case that Trump can sort of do quasi-legally or the next Republican can do quasi-legally a kind of overturning of the election that they couldn't do this time that they needed violence for. So they want to pursue the state legislature theory in the next Supreme Court, I, I, I fear. And, and make it so that, you know, just Republican state legislatures can just declare that their state goes to the Republican, even if the voters of their state have, have voted for a Democrat, right? Like they want to do that. Um, so um, they have all, how many states have they already banned abortion? And are they, and will they move to strike down gay marriage? And then, and then who knows what's next? Um, yeah, they're they're there. Um, sitting members of Congress have embraced um, uh, um, white nationalism in various ways. Now, some of them tend to be the kind of the whipping boys uh, of a kind of media. You know, your Marjorie Taylor Greens, your Paul Gosers, but they've faced very little um, actual sanction from within the Republican Party. It hasn't hurt them within their party, um, so it's it's um, it's scary. And uh, and I should add one of the here's another sign that I think is is a telling sign. Um, I knew I for if you you know look to Orthodox Jews, they tend to um, they tend to go more conservative in, in their politics. Um, and I've always sort of thought that they were foolish. Um, and I've always sort of thought like, look. Um, these 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 Christian these Christian radicals like they are not your friends you know for now they talk about Judeo Christian values but like when they have power it's going to be Christian and not Jewish 
And they're like, oh, no, you know, like we agree on the same things. And, like, and you're already starting to see that, that the anti-Semitism of Christian nationalists is becoming more and more pronounced and, un, and, and explicit and, and on the right wing. And so I think like that's just, you know, the chickens are starting to come home to roost. Yeah, um, I think they will. I guess uh, someone could answer by kind of saying, yeah, as bad as as scary as things look among Republicans. But I mean, what if the Democrats have unlimited uh, control of the government? What what if they pass the Green New Deal or some some equivalent of it, which is a complete overhaul of property rights and industry as we know it and and becomes just a turns us into a complete third world country? I mean, do, do you worry about the Green New Deal, no. stuff like that? No, I no because I don't think the Democrats are, you know, they're the they're the scared party. They're the party that doesn't have momentum. I've never in my lifetime like seen Democrats like do anything kind of um, impressive or like I've seen Republicans do things that that were um, that showed um, out, that were outrageous. Um, that were, I couldn't believe how, you know, boldly outrageous it was. Um, but at least, you know, but they did something. Um, I, I, with Democrats, I've just seen them kind of muddle through in various ways. Um, and I think they, they, and look, in some ways, I think that's, that's for the best because the, their, their views, which are bad, are moderated by the fact that they don't go very hard or consistent for it. I mean, look, I haven't, it's not like I know all the provisions of the Green New Deal, um, but it's also, it's not like the, it's not like the left today is per, perhaps like the old left where it's aggressively anti-capitalist. Um, when you have de- Democrats looking, pointing to the stock market as evidence of the success of their administrations, you can say that, you know, like there's been this po- positive shift towards neoliberalism in, in some ways on the, in some parts of the left. And it's not as bad economically as it used to be. Again, it doesn't mean that they wouldn't regulate a lot of stuff and it wouldn't be bad. Um, I just don't think that um, it would be as catastrophic as the right makes it out to be. Now, I could be, again, these are kinds of, these are bets. These are kind of weighing things. They're kind of, what do I think would happen? And I'm not, and, you know, I don't follow the nitty gritty of the legislative um, processes and, and so on. So I don't know exactly what version of a, Green New Deal would likely to be passed, but I do think that it's um, it probably is. I mean, it, let me put it this way: I tend to think that the Democrats will, you know, it'll be a slower decline. It'll be probably decline, but it'll be slower, and it'll be much more incremental, um, and it'll sort of be like the same thing we've had for a while. Um, so it used to be like in the 90s and the early aughts um well not you know before or no at least like in the 90s like yeah it wasn't going great but like it, it wasn't like the decline wasn't rapidly accelerating whereas the, the decline of the united states has actually been accelerating um our standing in the world took a huge took a body blow under under bush and then it took and then it just absolutely took a head trauma under under uh under trump um and it's not like i thought obama was a good president but i think people on the right vastly exaggerated how bad it was and you know it was sort of like it was it was sort of like yeah this is not getting better but it's not getting rapidly worse and that allows positive forces in the culture to kind of have a little bit of breathing room so it's really a question of what are we which buys us a little more time which versus which is, you know, circling the drain with more um, acceleration. And I think, you know, um, the, with, with the, you know, kind of current Trumpist Republican Party, it's like, it's a race to get to the drain faster and first. Yeah, it does seem like um, exaggerating the, um, how horrible the Democratic politicians are seems to be how conservatives operate right first obama was supposed to be this big communist and it turned out yeah he went to college in the 60s and 70s and like many people he read malcolm x and all this stuff but also you know he hung out with the bill clintons of the world and he ended up governing kind of like yeah your typical democrat and um 
did plenty of damage, I'm sure, but uh, it was not the, you know, b- b- leading up to the 2008 election, conservatives were acting like this is the most important election of our lifetime. Every election is the most important election. If yeah, Democrats I mean, look, win this one, there's no turning back. Well, but no, but so, so, I mean, I should say like, right, like if, if, if Hillary Clinton say had been elected in 2016, then the, then the Pacific Partnership trade agreement which had been sort of negotiated under the Obama administration would have gone through. It would have been an enormous free trade agreement and it would have really boosted um, American capitalism and, and our influence in, uh, and our influence in the East um, and been a check to the dominance of China in some, in some ways, right? Um, it was the Trump, it was Trump that killed it um, as a symbolic act of anti-Obama, just to like say, fuck you to anything Obama had done. And is an anti just trade, anti global sort of thing. So, I mean, it, the Democratic Party, though there are your populists in your Bernie Sanders and your Elizabeth Warrens, increasingly, there's still plenty of, of, of Democrats who are still more, at least internationally speaking, free trade, um, you know, your so called neoliberals. And um, um, the Republican Party just doesn't, I think, give a shit about that. And I think it's in part because they, I think they learned something perhaps after the Tea Party, and, or, or at any rate, they maybe, maybe didn't learn it at that point. They learned it with Trump. And what they learned was our voters don't actually care about capitalism. They don't care about free trade. Um, they care, I mean, what do they care about? They care about white grievance. They care about these religious conservative issues. They care about the culture wars. Um, they care about owning the libs. And we'll lean mm-hmm. into that. We'll, we'll go there. Right, like they, um, we'll go there. So, I mean, I, I think now it's, it's not even, it's. I mean, they, the, I think Republicans still reflexively refer to Democrats as socialists because it kind of works for them, and you know, it's not entirely un- inaccurate, but um, it's not like they even like pretend to be free trade in many cases anymore. Um, mm-hmm. So, so neither party is for free trade. That that's uh, increasingly clear. And in some cases, the Democrats did more to help uh, trade because they're not anti-globalist as the uh, Republicans have branded themselves. But uh, but I mean, you mentioned like you know white nationalists on the among Republicans. I mean, are, where's where's the fear of um, racism and anti-Semitism among Democrats with the uh, AOC and Elon Omar and and their friends being the prime example? If, so if you agree. Right. So there are. So again, on the far left, you also find anti-Semitism, um, and that that's true. Um, I think that, in general, um, now, to some extent, to some extent, but not entirely, um, issues of anti-Semitism on the left become at least a little bit complicated, to the extent that they get mixed up in issues of of Israel and Palestine and anti-Zionism and, and so on. Now, I certainly think that there is a level of criticism of Israel or there is a level of kind of looking at the Israeli-Palestinian conflict um, that you know, claims it's just anti-Zionist, not anti-Semitic, that either quickly takes people into, into anti-Semitism or that never would have been as biased as it is against Israel politically if there hadn't been some underlying anti-Semitism. So, um, so that, I mean, I think that's, it's, it's not as if they are two totally separate issues or it's not as if anti-Zionism, even if, or anti, you know, being against Israel's current policies with Palestine, right? Like, it's not as if that never leads people to be more anti-Semitic because it does. Um, in some in some cases, um, it's just that it's a little more complicated than straight up, you know, like you don't, you know, you killed our Lord or you're not, you don't have the right religion. Um, but I think that by and large, um, uh, well, I don't think that. Um, so, so I, I mean, I think it's worth pointing out that. It's worth pointing out the kind of distinctions between the kind of party's bases and the party's politicians, but also between um, 
the kind of idea manufacturers and their extremes on the one hand and the kind of the, the party regular on the other hand. So, so like, you know, you can go to certain universities and there'll be, you know, divestment movements and, and so on. Um, but they don't, um, but that's, I mean, at least at present, that doesn't really make a deep impact on your average democratic voter. Um, whereas something like various act, parts of like say religious, Christian religion, religious evangelical kind of fundamentalism does get down to the Republican voter in terms of being anti-abortion or in terms of being anti-gay marriage or in terms of a, a number of things. So I think there's still, there still remains a bit of a gap between the worst things among leftist intellectuals on the one hand and democratic voters on the other hand. And as, as the Democratic Party picks up more of the white suburbs that have been lost from the Republicans from Trump, more of the kind of college educated, I, I, well, I don't know how it'll go actually. Because on the one hand, they're picking up some of these more moderate and conservative people. On the other hand, they're picking up more people who, who got ideas in college. But I think it tends to actually be a moderating force on them, not an extremist force. So that's all just to say that it's not as if um, it's not as if Repub it's not as if Democrat so Democratic politicians do have to genuflect in in terms of certain identity issues. They have to virtue signal in certain ways. They have to and, and some of this stuff reaches the level of policy and it's not good, right? But I don't think they in general are um, I mean, I think the Democratic Party by and large remains a moderate party all in all which is to say that they don't, they, in order to even win their primaries, Democrats by and large are not kind of going more extreme. There are some places where, you know, super blue areas where Democrats do kind of, will try to go more blue for their primaries, but that's, you know, that's not necessarily a winning strategy for, for them. Um, you know, like the Bernie Sanders is in the Elizabeth Warrens, like they, they might show up well at one state primary early on, but they don't really, you know, most democratic, I think most democratic voters just want, you know, some less racism, some more social issues. I don't know, again, I can be wrong. I'm not, you know, I'm not a political scientist. I don't follow the kind of nuanced details. I'm just giving you my general sense. And that's what it is. Um, it sounds like you're saying the Democrats tend to moderate because they they realize at some point or another that their voters don't actually want the extreme version of of what the Democrats represent, that most voters in America, they don't want the woke stuff implemented in law. They don't want socialism. Whereas on the Republican side, I think you're saying they've realized that the more kind of rabble rousing they do, the more um, they excite the voters the better the results because the voters genuinely are afraid of the, of the stuff that Republicans are telling them to be afraid of. Um, yeah. I mean, I think the, yeah, the kind of Fox news media system has made it so that Republic, I mean, so Republicans always, you know, or at least for a very long time have done well when they get, when they maximum, when they get maximum kind of show up from their base, but overall small numbers of people showing up, um, which is, um, and, and so, you know, and so cultural issues that sort of nobody's so worried about what it'll do to their pocketbook that they just have to show up to vote, but that they're, but, but that older voters, they can scare, you know, who watch Fox News or listen to AM radio all day, you know, that kind of works to their advantage. I think increasingly what you, you've seen is that, I mean, there was, um, oh, what's his name? Um, he, now he edits. Uh, the Atlantic. Um, um, Canadian born conservative. Not Goldberg, is he? No, no, no. Jeffrey. It doesn't matter. Anyway, he said, um, he said, uh, you know, if, if conservatives find that they can't achieve, um, you know, if Republicans find that they can't achieve conservatism democratically, they'll give up on democracy, not conservatism. And he was right, which is to say that they've They've decided that they just the demographics are going against them. There was a there was this brief moment after the Romney campaign where there was this internal analysis by the Republican Party that said, hey, we should moderate. We should really outreach to minorities. And they were just like, no, screw that. Um, and instead, it was it was how can we gerrymander better? 
how can we how can we deliberately mess up the census to to, to disproportion to, to disproportionately underrepresent blue states? How can we perhaps get these crazy Eastman theories about about the state legislatures to kind of move forward? How can we do all of this stuff? And if the Supreme Court upholds the state legislature theory, it'll be pure chaos. I think um, I'm really scared about that possibility. I, I don't know how likely it is, but I enough of the current conservative justices, A, have kind of stated support for this wacky theory, and B, have in the, you know, through Roe v. Wade, through the, the, the gun case in New York, um, they basically signaled they don't give a shit where the country is as a majority. Like they, they, don't, they don't give a damn about precedent. They don't, they don't give a damn about Roe v. Wade having been precedent. They don't give a damn about Casey having reaffirmed that precedent. They don't give a damn that there was a right that was on the books for 50 years and they just threw it away. They don't care, right? They're just going to do their agenda. Um, so they might do this, right? They, um, so, you know, that's, yeah, that is my, that is my worry. Um, and uh, I, again, like I, I don't, I don't see you look, you don't see, you don't see a heck of a lot of democratic elected politicians, um, you know, uh, trying to get closer to and court the Antifa vote, right? You don't see them talking about how, you know, that's just not really a thing. Um, but you see that all over the place in, on the right and that's the big difference. Mm -hmm. You mentioned um, Orthodox Jews uh, supporting Republicans and conservatives and that you think they're naive or foolish. And uh, I've had a similar thought about Israelis, uh, you know, religious or secular, who seem to really love Trump like he was their guy. They thought, oh, finally, a president that loves Israel. And I, I you know, I didn't pay close attention to the politics over there, but like I, I shook my head for those years and, and said, like, careful, uh, you know, who you get in bed with. Trump is nobody's real friend. And he yeah, he's nicer to the to the dictators than he is to, uh, you know, certain American allies and, and just somebody who's just so um, whimsical and unprincipled is, is nobody's friend, really. Um, so if I had to like. Um, essentialize, if I had to sort of like um, characterize the state of Republicans since Trump, especially, I would say it's anti-intellectual, just like their, their, their sort of principle is non-principles, unprincipled, being unprincipled. And that is a scarier thing than anything. A lot of these new, new right, new Republicans are former libertarians, right? Who I think Rand uh, dubbed hippies of the right. Uh, and you can see that, you can see the, the hippiness. And I, I would say today, like, the Republican Party is where a lot of like hippie minded former hippies are people who as recently as 10 years ago might have been lifelong Democrats. Uh, the Republican Party is a place for just just um, just emotionalist, um, like anti-establishment minded people to feel at home. Yeah, uh, I, mean, what I, do you mean? I think that's I think that's true. I think um, I think a president has an enormous impact, whether we realize it or not, on the country's psyche and on um, just, I mean, many, many, many people, literally it affected their mental health that every day you'd wake up and you'd look at Twitter and you'd see, what did this lunatic say? It was really bad. And it's not that much better given that he could come back in 2024. Um, so, uh, you know, until he's rotting in a prison cell, I think we are all kind of hostage to his narcissism and insanity. But, um, but in any case, I mean, like with the Israel thing, like support for the for Israel, the 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 Jewish state um, was a totally down the line bipartisan issue with you know one or two super radical Democrats, super radical Republicans, maybe not kind of getting on board, but overwhelmingly, just a super overwhelmingly bipartisan issue until Trump, um, until Trump made it toxic. And I think Rick Wilson said it best that everything Trump touches dies. Like this guy is just pure poison to everything. So it was not good for Israel in the long run. It was not good for Israel in terms of the US it, when it became a sort of performative thing that like you have to push for the Israeli government to have the most radical, most own the libs policy 
um, with regard to the Palestinians. And you can never criticize it. And if you ever criticize anything Israel's doing, then you're anti-Israel and you're, you know, like that was not in the long run going to help Israeli-American relations. That was going to make them worse. Um, you know, is, Israel, I think, should want their relationship with America to not turn on these transactional political alignments between a Netanyahu and a Trump, two corrupt, um, de- you know, populists, um, and so on. Or, or I guess de- Netanyahu became more populist, became more demagogic. Earlier on in his career, I guess he was more just conservative, but, you know, he was, um, he's a dirty guy. So anyway, um, so that's, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I think that's one of these cases of these, this backfiring, this short-term thinking. Mm-hmm. But, but I mean, don't you have a Trump derangement syndrome? Isn't that what this is? Like, no matter what Trump uh, does, like, it, it, it dies, right? Like, everything he touches dies. But, like, aren't you just kind of, like, um, going with the left? Aren't you letting CNN manipulate you? Obviously, I'm being kind of tongue-in-cheek. But, like, how, how would you respond to that, if, if at all it's possible? I mean, uh, say better I have evil derangement syndrome. Oh, God. Jason thinks everything that's evil is going to be bad. Yeah, I do. Um, I think everything he has, he has psychosis derangement syndrome. Everything that's crazy he thinks is bad and dangerous. Yeah. I mean, I think crazy leaders are dangerous. Like um, I think just look at the man, right? Look at what he says, how he comports himself, how his private life had gone prior to his presidency. This is, this is a criminal a con man and also one with um, not terribly bright who, you know, basically who never would have been even a big con man if he hadn't inherited his father's real estate empire and who is profoundly, profoundly um, damaged psychologically in terms of his narcissism. And, and, and you think this guy like is, is fit to basically not only um, be the most powerful person in this country, but most powerful person in the world to kind of steer the, American democratic hegemony um, with Western Europe and 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 Japan and uh, South Korea and you know and so on. like like he's not like it's and profoundly not so and and in so many ways he's so far outside of the norm from even the worst previous presidents that it's shocking right no other president. No other president denied the results of an election. No other president tried to have an armed coup. No other president tried to blackmail foreign leaders to create dirt on their political opponents. No, you know, and it and it's not just CNN. It's not some main, you know, it's not some left wing like intercept, you know, bullshit precedent that's giving this. It's congressional testimony. It's court stuff. It's filings. Like this is in the public domain. The data is out there. The testimony is out there. We know he did these things. If, um, and if, if you are at the point of saying, hey, it's just Trump derangement syndrome, or hey, you're just believing the mainstream media, then I have to say, like, you are now, you are currently in, whether you, you're probably not in a position to believe me, but you are currently in an epistemic sinkhole. That is, you are in this sort of trough of disinformation, which constitutive of it is a kind of principle you have taken on board to reject the any kind of good information that would help take you out of it. Mm-hmm. Another way to put it is like, not only have you swallowed the lies, you've also swallowed the lie that people telling you more of the truth are all liars. But look, I can read some of the, the truth stuff and some of the liars and I can come away with a certain kind of judgment. And if you literally can't, you know, read five words in the New York Times or, or the Washington Post or listen to CNN or MSNBC for five minutes without like thinking it's all lies, like even at the most basic level description of anything, then I might sort of, then, then I think, uh, you know, like, I don't know, you need a culted programmer or something. Um, another way to put this is, look, um, some people are deluded and some people are not deluded. And if the deluded people tell me I'm deluded, I don't care because they're deluded. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I became a, a never Trumper. I mean, like I, I, I disliked a lot about him and was worried about him throughout his presidency. But the day I became 
I, like it finally clicked on I became a never Trumper was the day he lost the 2020 election and the way he handled it and the way he announced we won and we're going to sue to get them to stop counting votes. I said, oh, now I get it. Like it's it's the anti-intellectualism. It's the uh, the power lust, et cetera. But and, and the conspiracism, especially, I remember uh, that that kind of made me realize this is the party of Alex Jones. But then someone could respond. And, and I want to hear your thoughts on this. Well, look at the Democrats throughout the four years of Trump's presidency. They 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 kept on trying to push that the idea that the Russians stole the election. So isn't this just a isn't this just two parties of conspiracy nuts or, it, no, or so, are they? Go ahead. So first off. So first off, there were some people um, on the left who early on, you know, thought, OK, maybe Russia stole the election. Now, and I should say some of those conspiracies were actually pushed by the Russians because clever as they are at disinformation, they've been doing it since the era of the czars. They, they pioneered this stuff. Um, they don't just pump it on one side. They try to make both sides more intractably confused about reality and not able to talk to one another. But what the, what the CIA and sort of the FBI came out, you know, and they asserted was Russia didn't change any voting results. And, and no Democrat pushed for them to say otherwise, right? Trump pushed to have the director of the FBI, Trump pushed to have people in the Justice Department say that the election, the 2020 election was corrupt when it wasn't. No Democrat, like Obama didn't try to tell any of these people to say the Russians stole votes. In fact, he was hesitant because of, because of Mitch McConnell refusing to go forward with what they knew was going on in terms of Russian disinformation. He was hesitant to even tell people about the Russian disinformation campaign, lest it be, seem like he was putting his thumb on the scales. Um, and so that's a huge difference, right? We do know that there was a Russian disinformation campaign. We know that it was effective. Um, we know, but we also know that they didn't take over any voting machines and change any votes. And no, and no Democrat tried to push the state to claim that it did. Whereas the Republican Party not only has gone in for a big lie, like it's not at all the case that there was massive voter fraud, not at all. And they want organs of the state, they want the state governments to claim that there was, all to sort of support Trump. So, um, so it's not true. It's just not true that on that the that the the two media sides are equivalent, right? Like they're and unfortunately, you know, mainstream media to some ex to extent, one of its big faults is that having kind of lost a really good notion of objectivity, it kind of gets our objectivity by sort of doing a both sides thing. At least if we show both sides. The problem is, is that if one side is worse than the other, like you're not helping anything. You're just making them both, you know, it just makes it all look subjective or all look tribal. The thing is, is that look, I mean, there are problems with the mainstream media, which has more of a left leaning perspective, but it is far more professional and far more committed to basic journalistic standards than right-wing media. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, it just is. Um, and um, like Fox News is much worse than MSNBC is. Does MSNBC have a big liberal bias? Yeah, they don't, they don't try to hide it, but they don't, but they don't um, overwhelmingly kind of run, they don't kind of give big air to deep disinformation. When they make mistakes, they correct them prominently right? Like the, it's, it's things like that. So uh, that's, um, I mean, I think that's the big, the big difference and you don't have, um, and I don't think you find, I mean, you find some, I mean, it's not that you can't find the kooky left out there. It's just that like the kooky left isn't as big a part of a kind of left-wing media as kooky right is for the right, where it's like most of it. So I, I really do think they're not on a par. Um, and I mean, look, NPR, for all like for all the for all the say liberal slant and the opinions they give and the framing of stories, they do their due diligence in basic in terms of basic journalism, in a way that um, you know, Fox News and Newsmax and OANN don't do and never will do. 
Yeah. And uh, I still want to have an episode just about just like which side is more intellectual, the left or the right? Um, and I think uh, as was the case when Rand delivered her first Ford Hall Forum lecture and uh, the left is the more intellectual side. And it's possible that between then and now there was a period in which the left was kind of like characterized by its hippiness and just anti-intellectual sort of uh, dance with the devil. But these days it just seems like, yeah, the left, the left are in control of academia and that's a problem, but also what you get is leftists who can articulate their point of view into philosophically, whereas on the right, it's it's uh, emotionalism, it's mob mentality. That's kind of how I see it. Um, it's it's populism unhinged. Um, Wyatt in the chat says, "What about Hillary paying Steele for the dossier? Is that like because?" So first I of all, um, the Steele dossier was originally hired by Trump's. Republican primary opponents. And then some of that research was continued on um, then by the Hillary campaign. So it wasn't even started or initiated by Hillary Clinton. And, um, and in terms of, you know, like the Steele dossier, right? Like that was never the, that was never the state like that they didn't, um, it's not as if somebody pressured the FBI to say, to agree with it or something like that. And to some extent um, you even saw um, organs of government say, you know, that we can't confirm this and, and so on. So, um, yeah, but I mean, like, uh, yeah, that's, um, okay. Um, now, uh, in the super chat, there's no questions, but Jonathan, Bonnie and, uh, Roland all send their support. Thank you. Roland yeah. says evil, evil derangement syndrome. Awesome. comeback. Cool. Uh, we do need to wrap it there coming up at 7 p.m. UK time, which is in a few minutes. It's Finance Friday with Jim Brown. He will be moderating a discussion between Seth Levine and Keith Weiner on investment versus speculation. Is there a difference? All right. Uh, nice to uh, dedicate an episode to the political state of things. Uh, what do you say next time we talk a little bit of philosophy? That is more my wheelhouse and I'm more comfortable there. Um, and it's less depressing, I might add. All right. Uh, thanks as always. Good talking to you. We'll talk again yeah, soon. Thank you, everybody. Have a good weekend and goodbye.